I invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to the book of Romans chapter 3. The book of Romans chapter 3, the text, if you don't have your copy of Scripture with you, will be on the screens. But we encourage you to get into God's Word and get to know it on your own. So on your device or on your copy of Scripture, turn to Romans chapter 3. We are diving into some deep truths this morning. Simple truths, but deep truths this morning. If you were here um, last week, uh, or if you have seen the ads on Facebook or Instagram, again, several brand new families here, maybe that's how you heard about it. Maybe you were invited by a friend, but we are in the midst of a series called, I Want to Believe, But. And Matt did an incredible job last week talking about how, you know, for many, they desire a relationship with God. They want to be a believer. They want to have that faith. But it seems like there's some sort of ceiling that they reach that they just can't get over. And really what we've come down to in this four-week series is you're really not rejecting God. What you're rejecting is a distorted view of who God is that hasn't worked. And last week, Matt uh, spoke so amazingly about uh, the idea of an on-demand God. And maybe for some, the reason that they can't get past um, their, their, their doubts is because they believe that, well, I tried uh, to serve this God and, you know, I wanted all these things and he just didn't answer my prayer. I wanted a God that I could control, like a remote control on your TV screen. And we live in this day and age where we want everything and we want it now. And, and I tried that and it just didn't work. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to the podcast on our website. Well, today we're going to be talking about another um, argument against a distorted view of God. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is the idea of a killjoy God. You know what a killjoy is? It's defined as somebody who's always throwing a wet blanket on any joy, any goodness, any fun whatsoever. All right, a Debbie Downer, if you will. Anybody know somebody like that? Raise your hand. Are they in the auditorium? Point to them right now. So, wow, a husband and wife both pointing at each other. Man, this is going to be good. But man, we, we, uh, we are almost ingrained in us to be skeptical about things, right? And maybe you've come in this morning skeptical about church, skeptical about this God that we're talking about and we're singing about. And it's almost natural for us to be that way anymore because there's so many theories out there you know so many things come across our Facebook feed that we are not sure if they're real or not maybe you got caught up in some of those thinking it was real but it was not real right and we just tend to be skeptical and maybe you view Christians as ones that just buy into anything and and, and they just don't really think it through and we've had some of those experiences right I remember my daughter five or six years ago she's probably Nine or ten years old, and she was really into this show. I don't even know if it's still on, but it was called Finding Bigfoot. Does that show even still exist anymore? Or are people like, all right, we're done. We're not buying in after season one. But I don't know. I think it may be still on. But she was, in her young mind, she was riveted, man. And she was trying to convince me and her mom that Bigfoots are real. Dad, they are. And all, they, you know, all over the Pacific Northwest, the Sketch, sketch, watch. What's it called? The, the beef jerky thing. There you go. That's it, right? You know. But they're all over there, and you know, she's she's all into it, and she's taking notes, and she's trying to convince us that Bigfoots are real. And finally, I'm like, Autumn, I love you, honey, and I don't want to 
be a killjoy for all your creative curiosity, but if Bigfoots are so real, why have they never found a dead one? And she's like, well, Dad, they talked about that on the show, and they know they're going to die. They know they're going to die, so they just kind of bury themselves because they know when that time is upon them. And I had no argument for it, you know, nothing. But we know about being skeptical. And maybe some of you guys have walked in, you're like, I'm skeptical of all this, because, man, to me, it just seems like God is some giant cosmic killjoy. He's got all these rules. He doesn't want anybody to have any fun. All these Ten Commandments, you know, to kind of box you in and to keep you from having a good life. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, my life's okay. I'm healthy, I've got good friends, you know, I've got finances, I'm comfortable. Why do I need to add in all these rules and regulations? And honestly, maybe this attitude, even for some that are believers and have grown up in the church, uh, maybe this attitude has come from other Christians that you've known. Or maybe it's even your church context growing up. All the rules and all the regulations and all the legalistic things that you had to adhere by. And you look back now and you're like, that didn't even make sense. I can remember one time when I was in uh, seminary, I was in charge of leading seminary chapel worship. Okay, now you got to remember, these guys in seminary... These, these guys live a tough life, the vast majority of them. I was blessed enough to, right after Bible college, I was in my early 20s, went right into seminary, got a big chunk of it done, finished it up later on. But, so I was still young in my young 20s, but a lot of these guys were 30, 40 even, had other jobs, uh, staying up all night, doing third shifts. So they come in, and they're tired, and they're haggard, and I had the awesome responsibility of leading these guys in worship, Okay. So one seminary chapel, we're doing the song, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Joyful, right? So I'm playing and I'm like, all right, guys, come on, let's clap a little bit, you know. This is a day. And they start kind of getting into it for seminarians. That's rare. But they start getting into it a little bit. You know, there's 40, 50 guys in this chapel and we're playing. And then some of them start to do this little thing, right? They're like, this is a day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Like doing a little triple clap. And the dean of the seminary, I kid you not, comes up right in the middle of the song. We're actually seeing revival break out and smiles on people's faces like, yeah, we're worshiping God. He comes up, hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. Like feedback on the mic, you know. He's like, we don't need any of this cutesy clapping stuff for this song, Okay. Oh, my word. And I mean, this is a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I love my seminary. We will joke about it to this day. He's a great guy, loves God. But just that idea, you love God, you should be sad. That's what some people think. Growing up, I had a friend who wasn't allowed to play with guns on Sunday talking about a little kid, fake guns. It's like every other day of the week you can shoot imaginary bad guys. Sunday, don't you dare. Right? And even think about now, present day adult life. Here we are in North Carolina, and I recently read this law. It never affected me because I'm typically busy on Sunday mornings. But apparently, you cannot buy alcohol on a Sunday morning before noon. 
right? Th think about that law for a second. This is not a message on drinking and not drinking and all of that. We did a series on that in gray areas in 1 Corinthians, listen to it, right? But just think about this concept and how the world looks at us, right? So somebody's having a bunch of friends over to watch football games and it's 1130 on a Sunday morning and they're like, I just want to pick up some stuff. Nope, sorry, you can't until 12. Well, why? You should be in church. That's why. But I went to early service. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no fun until that 12 o'clock hour. No enjoyment, period. And we can joke about it, but honestly, think through some of these ideas. This is a very common misconception that God is a God of boredom. And man, if there was ever a reason that we as believers need to understand uh, the, the trappings of religion and the beauty of Jesus, this morning is the morning. So I have a quick little definition for you of what we're going to use for the idea of religion, okay? And it's right up here, and it's basically this. Definition of religion we're using for this morning is man's attempt to gain God's favor by obeying rules, Okay, now you meet some people who are like, I'm not religious at all. I just love the Lord. And some people say, I hate religion, but I love Jesus. We're not going that far because we recognize in James chapter 1, verse 27, right? I mean, um, James talks about religion. Like, hey, pure, there can be a pure religion and a good thing. Pure religion is this, to care for the orphans and the widows, right? But for our purposes this morning, when we're defining religion, we're not talking about Christianity. We're talking about man's attempt to gain God's grace and favor by obeying rules. Because That's unfortunately what many people think of when they think of the killjoy God. Well, there's bad news um, about religion, um, and the bad news about religion in that context, in that definition, is that religion focuses on the outside and God focuses on the heart. Okay, now this is not perhaps for some of you brand new information, but just follow me here because the payoff is incredible when we really come to an understanding of what the gospel is. And if there was ever a gospel-centered message, this morning is the one. Okay, now think about that idea that religion focuses on the outside and God focuses on the heart. Now we've got a guy, he and his wife are awesome people, members here, his name's Mike Rice, and he's a, he's a teacher at Green Hope High School right down the street here. And uh, Mike also, to just kind of pick up some stuff in the summer, started to work at a place called Hannah Imports. It's right down on 55, and it is a car dealership including used cars. So I love to joke around with them like, wait a minute, what are you, a used car salesman? And why does that strike you as somewhat shaded in our culture? Because unfortunately, used car salesmen are kind of known for making sure that the wax is looking great on the outside, it looks great. Oh, it's vacuumed on the inside and it smells great. And when you're looking at this car, they can sell it to you because it looks great. But on the inside, is something totally different. So what do you have to do? You got to get the Carfax, right? We're talking about a spiritual Carfax now even. 
Okay, so it doesn't matter what things look like here. It doesn't matter if you've got your Bible. It doesn't matter these external things. But deep inside, there's a history. There's a lot of things that have perhaps gone wrong. Maybe some things that are wrong right now. And this is the exact illustration that Jesus uses in a different context. That's our modern day illustration. Here's the one that Christ used in Matthew chapter 23. We got it on the screen. Don't turn there. Verses 27 and 28. Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and the Pharisees, the really religious ones, the ones who knew a lot, had all kinds of knowledge, worked for the church, the temple at that time, right? But these are the professional religious people. Woe to you, he says. You hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is one of the things that made Jesus most upset And it was people who actually followed all of the rules to a T. When he talks about scribes and Pharisees, he's talking about the religious leaders. And just by way of a little bit of history here, you need to know and understand a few things. After um, Ezra and Nehemiah and some of those prophets, um, the, the Jewish leaders were so concerned that you know, the people of Israel had broken the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, that they decided to create a bunch of other laws on top of that. And they were called the hedge laws or the fence laws. So basically, we knew we didn't want to break these 10 commandments. So we're going to create other commandments. So we're kind of building a fence even around these 10 commandments, then another fence, then another fence, then another fence to make absolutely sure that our people are behaving the right way. So for example, even just one simple command like remember the Sabbath and keep it holy The fence laws or the additional laws on top of that, there was over 60 of them about what you could and couldn't do on a Sabbath. Do not work on the Sabbath. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean I can move my phone two inches? Is that considered work? Can I walk 10 feet? You know, and all these other laws that had to do with even eating and walking and what's considered work and not work and everything else over and over and over again. These were some of the people that were responsible for that. So they were all about the rules and trying to gain God's favor. And what's so incriminating about it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 3 and 4, Jesus says how he really feels about them. He says, okay, so all these teachers do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, all these laws uh, and that are hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them even with their finger. The more important part of the law, the love, the compassion, the mercy, the kindness, they wanted nothing to do with. They would actually rob widows and take advantage of people. But they had their rest of their external life in a box perfectly. That's the bad news about religion. 
But here in Romans chapter 3, we get an understanding of the good news about Jesus. Now, we're going to go through some weighty stuff here, but we need to all be on the same page and, and, and get through it together because it's an incredible, incredible payoff. Three concepts here, three thoughts about this good news about Christ and what the gospel really means. And this first one that we need to understand, which is incredibly good news, is this. You cannot earn God's grace by obeying the rules. You cannot earn God's grace by obeying the rules. Romans chapter 3, let's start reading in verse 19. This is, again, in the context of the law and the hedge laws and the fence laws and everything else that we've been telling you about. Now, Paul says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And you can just stop right there. For the purposes of this first concept, you cannot earn God's grace by obeying that law. I love several of the phrases that are in here. It says, every mouth may be stopped. The whole world is now accountable. No one will be justified by obeying the law. In other words, we are all guilty, he's saying. It doesn't matter how many great things you do. It doesn't matter how much you memorize. It doesn't matter how much money you give to the church. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. We are all guilty and no one can earn God's grace. If you could earn it, by definition, it wouldn't be God's grace, right? There are several of you in here that have noticed I've done this. I like to just be cheeky at times and if I owe somebody money or if I have to write a check out to a friend maybe they bought tickets for a concert or something else I'll write them a check and I'll write the amount and in the memo line I'll write friendship dues just get a smile out of them but it's that that idea like that's crazy man you don't owe me money but you're my good friend and this is my monthly dues but that whole idea is silly because if you have to pay somebody or do something to earn that love, then it's not truly a friendship, right? And God's saying the same thing's true. It doesn't matter how much you do. We are all held accountable. We are all guilty. It would cheapen God's grace if we could work to earn it. But that's exactly what these people were doing. Second incredible concept about the good news of Jesus, number two. The purpose of the law is to show that you need a Savior. So maybe some of you are like, man, well, why did all this even happen? Why, did, why does the law even exist? Well, let's read uh, verse 20 again, specifically the second half. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Listen to this. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So it's because God gave us these regulations and these boundaries for us, we would know that when we break them that we are not worthy of God. And maybe you're sitting here even this morning, you're like, you know what, I'm not that bad of a person. I haven't done a lot of terrible things. There's a whole lot of people, a lot of people that are a lot worse than me. 
why should I buy into this? Or I think God thinks I'm okay. Well, there's an evangelist about 10 years ago or so. His name's Ray, Ray Comfort. And he used this illustration that I just think is, is really telling. Because he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And, and he says, um, you know, has anybody in here ever told a lie? Let's be honest. Raise your hand if you've told a lie. Raise your hand up like right now like it's okay. Raise your hand up. Okay, if anybody's not raising their hand up, point to them. Because they probably just told a lie, okay? I can't say for sure. But, I mean, come on. We've all told a lie before, okay? And one of the, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not lie, but we've all done it. Let me ask you this one. Has anyone here ever stolen anything before? Not like stolen a glance. I'm talking about you stole something. Raise your hand up really high. Much, many less of you. Now you're starting to be honest because that lie comment is coming back to you again. You're like, oh, yeah. Right, so just about all of us have stolen something in our lives. Now, this one's really tough, and I told you we are an honest church. Um, I'm going to talk about lust for a second, okay? Now, hang on. Jesus said, if anyone is lusted after a woman in their heart, so a human being is lusted after another one, it's the same thing as committing adultery. Jesus said that. So has anybody here ever lusted after somebody else? Just raise your hand up uh, really high, a few less people. But we're being honest here this morning. Okay, many of you, right? So in other words, all of you guys, because of what you admitted, all of you that are here this morning are lying, adulterous thieves. Welcome to Northwest Community Church, where we make you feel so good about yourself. man, when you step back and when you think about it and you think about the law, even just the Ten Commandments, you're like, wow, yes, I am a lawbreaker. And I have been an offense to a holy and perfect God continually. And think about this concept. Um, Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. And man, I think that's a big problem and a big hurdle for some people is they don't really view themselves as that bad. And Jesus here in Romans chapter 3 through the Apostle Paul unpacks that argument and says, no, you are a sinner. You need a Savior. There's somebody that's got to pay for that and you can't do it. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, no matter how compassionate you are, no matter how much you serve, no matter how much you give, no matter what you look like, you cannot cheapen the grace of God enough to achieve forgiveness and salvation. The third piece of good news really brings it all together here from Romans chapter 3. Being right with God, being in a, in a proper relationship as God's son or God's daughter, being right with God comes through faith alone. Check out this incredible, unbelievable concept starting in verse 21. Here's the argument from Paul. He says, but now the righteousness of God... Okay, not our righteousness, not good things that we've been doing. Now he's talking about the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. 
although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's forbearance because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And we'll just stop right there. That was a lot. But we just need to break this apart because this is incredibly good News. What he's saying here is you don't need religion. You don't need rules. You don't need outward steps. You need faith in Christ. And this whole idea about the righteousness of God that will be given to you is the most unbelievable concept that I could ever portray to you. It's not our own works because we know by themselves those are worthless. But once we have faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him alone and not in rules and regulations, it says in scripture that God gives us the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. When God looks upon Jerry, he doesn't see a sinner that's fallible and afraid and fails over and over and stumbles and is weak. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, given to me. That's my view in the eyes of God. It's an incredible, incredible truth for us. There's nothing we could do to achieve it or to attain it. Maybe you're not really a church-going person here this morning, but even so, undoubtedly, you have seen accounts of Jesus on the cross and one of the most beautiful illustrations of this concept right here is found there. You remember there was two thieves on the cross with Christ, And one of them mocked him and said, oh, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And the other one said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew his mind. Jesus knew that he had that saving faith. And that's what was needed. And so Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now think about that for a second. Those of you that are grown up in perhaps a culture or maybe you think this way right now that, man, I've got to do so much to earn God's favor. That guy wasn't going to be doing anything for God. He couldn't get off. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't worship. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't serve in the kids' ministry. He couldn't be a student ministry volunteer. He couldn't help behind the scenes at the temple, breaking the bread and serving and whatever else. He couldn't give any money. He had nothing. And he was worth nothing from the standpoint of what can I do now to earn God's favor? Because he wasn't going anywhere. And yet, he had saving faith because that's what was required. All the rules, all the regulations, we don't mean to downplay them. They're important. The Ten Commandments, absolutely. But these are boundaries that God set up for us so we could truly experience life 
and freedom. Not the things that mankind adds to all of those. I'm talking about what God commanded. Those are boundaries so that our life might be more fruitful than ever. Almost 20 years ago, I made a commitment to my wife on June 13th, 1998, that she was going to be the only one for me. There is no one else. I will be faithful to you. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, I will be faithful to you almost 20 years ago this summer. We've been in 18 years of full-time ministry together, and it's been incredible. And what if somebody came up to me or came up to you and said, oh, man, what an annoying rule that she's the only one that you can get to be with and fall in love with? Man, that's no fun at all. Look at all this other stuff that you're missing out on. No, forget about it, right? Because that's a boundary, an incredibly important boundary that actually gives life and vitality and joy and commitment because it's a safety. That's how we have to picture what God laid out for us. It's not, you know, cutting back on all of our fun as much as it is living in freedom the way God wants us to live. Religion has complicated what Jesus made simple. Talk about God being some sort of giant killjoy. I present to you, he's the opposite of that. Think about John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give you life to the max, to give you abundant life. And if you're here this morning and you believe what is said here in Romans chapter 3, that we've now got the righteousness of God, there's nothing we can do to earn his favor, there's nothing we can do to take away that love, we should be the most happy, joyful, um, outstanding, incredible, positive people that exist in this world. Amen to that? I think we should be the ones that are dancing the hardest at the wedding. Can I just say that out loud? But we should be the ones enjoying family time and friendship and food and fellowship and worship and life more than anybody else because of the incredible life and freedom that we have through the cross. And that big word that is here in Romans chapter 3, the propitiation, means basically the the all-encompassing worthy sacrifice that was the blood of Jesus. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to try and spice it up. We don't need to try to add our good works to it. The blood of Jesus paying the price once and for all, for all of our sins, gives us freedom. So I don't know where any of that lands on you here this morning. I wanted to throw, just as we close, three concepts out on the screen that encapsulate this incredible gospel message. And maybe you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus and you're full-on committed and maybe for you this morning, I want you to walk away inspired and refreshed about what gospel-centered living should look like. But maybe for some, you came in this morning and that was your roadblock of you want to believe, but man, There's just so many rules. I want you to think about this just as we close. Three very simple concepts that we use to share the gospel. Uh, The first one is very simply this. We are all 
broken, every single one of us. We've sinned, you've admitted it, and because of that, we do not deserve to be in the presence of God. The second one is all of us, every single one of us is loved. John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Ephesians talks about how he lavished his love upon us and displayed it for us once and for all in the person of Christ. And his sacrifice once and for all, for all of our sins, for all time. We are all loved. And this last one is huge. We are all invited. And maybe for many here, because I know you, you've responded to that invitation of new life. But for some, maybe you haven't. I'm here to tell you that God is inviting you here even this morning. Book of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says this. Come now, the prophet says. Let us reason together. The prophet writes, these are God's words. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God is inviting you into freedom here even this morning. Let's bow our heads together and I'm just going to ask... A couple of questions here. I'm going to have our band come on out as we prepare to respond to what God has given us this morning through his word. But again, there's several different types of people here this morning. And I'm just curious if, man, for you this morning, you'd say, you know, Jerry, can you pray for me? I've grown up on kind of a rules-based system. And, man, I've been pretty awesome on the outside And I've been looking pretty good on the outside, doing a lot of good things on the inside, but I'm not sure that's really connecting with my heart. And there's areas in my life that have been revealed even this morning where I've been somewhat of a hypocrite. And I need you to pray for me. Would you just raise your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to say anything. I honestly just want to pray for you this morning as one of your pastors. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, man, you know what? I want that freedom, and I've thought that God just wanted to make my life boring, but I don't have a relationship with him, and I just want that. I want to know more about it. Um, Can you pray for me that God would continue to lead me on and God would continue to work in my heart so that I might know what it means to be a Christian? Because I want to know more. Is there anybody like that? Just raise up your hand really high so I can see it. Awesome. Anybody? Let me pray for you, God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word, and the power of your spirit. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to you with our nothing. No reason to boast. Nothing in us on on our own that's, that's worthy. But Lord, when you come in and activate and renew and restore, you make us worthy. And Father, I just thank you for that high calling we have to bring this joy and to bring this message to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, so that they too might live in freedom. Not in bondage of regulations, but in freedom of relationship. 
So we love you, God, and we thank you for your word. In your son's name we pray.